Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. Time to begin our regular halacha shir. This is webyeshiva.org, and our series is dealing with fun, what the great rabbis have to say about having fun. Uh, what is the rabbinical position on uh, frivolity? What is the rabbinical position on secular literature? Well, we're going to come to that next week, actually. Uh, what is the rabbinic opinion about uh, enjoying yourself, whether it's by playing a game of uh, basketball or cards or, or, or whatever? What we've seen up till this point, and let me apologize for having missed last week's shi'ur. Last week, our server, I, I, I speak as though I know what I'm talking about. I'm just... I'm just uh, parroting the words that were told to me by our guru who runs our computer system. Last week, our server uh, uh, was offline, and uh, that apparently means we can have no, we had no shiurim last week. But now we're back online and all as well. What, what, what we've learned up till this point <clears throat> is that there are two ways of looking at any activity which is outside of the realm of Torah and mitzvahs. Uh, uh, activities which are in the realm of Torah and mitzvahs, you're doing Torah, you're learning mitzvahs, you, you, you're doing mitzvahs, you're learning Torah, of course, of course that's good, of course that's commendable, of course that's praiseworthy. But what about other activities? Well, activities outside of the strict realm of Torah and mitzvahs, we saw that there are two ways of looking at these activities. Way number one is, you're just taking a nap because you enjoy it. Way number one is you're just playing a game of cards because you enjoy it. Way number one is you're playing basketball or going out jogging because you enjoy it. Uh, well, well, regarding this kind of activity, the rabbis have nothing good to say. There's no spiritual benefit in that. What they call for is the second way of looking at these activities outside of the strict realm of Torah and mitzvahs, if you're taking the nap so that you will be able to fulfill mitzvahs better, so that you will be able to learn Torah better, if the reason you're taking a nap, if your motivation is so that you will be able to engage in avodas Hashem, serving God better, then all of a sudden the sleep <clears throat> becomes part of Avodah Hashem, the, the, the sleep acquires a spiritual dimension to it and is praiseworthy and commendable. And of course, that's something good. If the reason you are playing basketball is number two, because relaxing a little bit will enable you to return to Torah and mitzvahs, will enable you to return to a spiritual life with greater vigor, greater strength, well then, the game of basketball or the game of cards or, or whatever it is, uh, is no longer a frivolous activity, but has become a praiseworthy activity because it's going to enable you to rise on the ladder of spirituality. The difference between way number one of looking at non-Torah activities and way number two of looking at non-Torah activities, the difference between these two ways has all to do with your kavana, with your motivation, why you are doing it. If it's only for your own pleasure, if it's only because you enjoy it, nothing particularly praiseworthy about that. If, on the other hand, you are motivated because you want to be able to return to Avodah Hashem, to spiritual matters with greater vigor and greater strength, then all of a sudden, the uh, uh, secular activity becomes praiseworthy. And that's what we've seen up till this point. Now we're going to turn to the... Let's get this on the screen nicely. <clears throat> there we go. Now we're going to look... Yeah, so self-exercise, uh, exercise, e e which is uh, healthy activity, is going to improve your body, eating in a healthy way. They're doing things which are for your own benefit. Well, here they're the same two possibilities, same two motivations are possible. You can, uh, uh, you can uh, 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 go out jogging because it will make you feel better. Or you can go out jogging because it's going to make you more healthy and a stronger person, and therefore you will be able to engage 
in the spiritual enterprise of Avodah Hashem, serving God better, if your motivation is ultimately for the spiritual purpose, then all of a sudden the jogging becomes very praiseworthy. Um, now we're going to look at new stuff. Here comes the new material. The, 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 the quotation we have on the screen <clears throat> is extracted from the Sefer Ohev Yisrael. The Ohev Yisrael was written by the Akhtar Rav, a uh, family named Horowitz. Uh, uh, people just call him the, the Ohev Yisrael. Uh, if you speak about the opinion of Rabbi Horowitz, well, there are a lot of Rabbi Horowitzes out there. You have to talk about the opinion of the Ohev Yisrael. That's the name of his famous Sefer. He was one of the great Hasidic masters. Not only was he one of the great Hasidic masters, Eastern Europe, obviously, uh, from the area of the Hasidim, 19th century, not only was he one of the great Hasidic masters, but he was also one of the great Lamdanim, one of the great rabbinic scholars of Eastern Europe. As you know, not all of the Hasidic masters were well known for their alumnus, for their for their ability in learning Torah. He had two crowns. He had not only the greatness of the Hasidic master in him, he had also the greatness of a, of a rabbinic scholar in him. He was both. Let's see what he says on our issue. These are his words. Ha'ikar, the main point which you should always focus on and never leave sight of, Shakoma Adam. Is it everything you do? Hainu, for example, Hiluch, walking along the street, Dibur, speaking, Shmir, listening to someone, Ria, seeing something, Shiva, lying down, Kima, getting up, the Chadama, every action you take in the course of the day, from the moment you get up in the morning until the moment you go to sleep at night, every action that you take, Behold, in every single thing you do, everything you do must be enveloped, must be uh, uh, infused with whole, with a holy mind, the mind of truth. Your intellect must be truly and correctly engaged in everything you do. Your intellect must be pure and, 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 and oriented exactly in the correct direction. What your intellect must be oriented towards is avodas Hashem serving God. It doesn't matter what you are doing. Everything you do can be directed to avodas habore, to the service of the Creator. You are a, a, you are a, a businessman or a businesswoman. Well, uh, you, 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 if, if you do your job properly, you are helping the world spin properly on its axis. You are providing. You, it doesn't matter what your business is. Uh, you can be in the business of selling selling clothing. Well, if you're selling clothing, then you are helping support all of the families where members are working in the clothing industry. You are helping your customers uh, get good clothes which they need at a reasonable price. You're supporting yourself and your own family. Uh, if you have the right intention in mind, if you realize what you are doing, you are engaged in a great act of avodas Hashem, serving God. You are, you are providing Chesed, you are providing kindness for a huge number of people. Everyone involved in manufacturing the clothing, everyone involved in the marketing of the clothing, they're all supporting themselves and their family based on the final sale which you make in your business. And of course, you're helping your customer and you're helping yourself all at the same time. One's intention must be pure without any impure motives mixed in. If you are a businessman, of course, what you're doing must be intended for the benefit of everyone involved, uh, not chas v'shalom, not heaven forbid, the opposite. If you engage in business or whatever your activity is uh, in order to ruin someone's livelihood, well, that, that's, that's no good. That's not, that's not an activity which is oriented for avodah Hashem. 
Whatever you do, if you are playing basketball, you have to forgive me the example of basketball. You know, I, I'm, I look at things from the boys' point of view. Girls, girls are also free to play basketball if they want. If there are other activities, just substitute some other activity in your mind when I always talk about basketball. If the reason I'm playing basketball is the correct reason, namely my intellect tells me, that uh, I'm doing this so that I will be able to engage in avodas Hashem, so that I will be able to serve God better. Behold, it has become a very commendable activity. If, has for shalom, heaven forbid, I have a bad intention in mind, I'm playing basketball because what I want to do is shame. I want to bring shame upon one of the other players to show the world how bad he is or how bad she is. Well, 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 if, I hold, if, if my whole motivation is the opposite of Avodah Hashem, if my motivation, motivation is to bring shame upon someone, <laughs> we'd better not to play basketball, wouldn't it? But the point is that everything we do can be oriented in a good direction or in a bad direction, and it's our job to make sure that everything is oriented well. Now, this is a powerful idea, and the idea, of course, requires some kind of evidence, requires some kind of proof. It's easy enough to say that every action we take during the day can be oriented in a spiritual way. It's easy enough to say that, but uh, if a great rabbi says it, we expect the great rabbi to express himself in a rabbinic way, namely to bring some rabbinic proofs uh, that what he has to say is true, that it's all correct. Yeah, if it's only to make you happy, if it's only to make you feel good, that's not good enough. You have to also have in mind that you're making yourself stronger, you're making yourself a better person so that you will be able to engage in Avodah Hashem. Uh, if it's a question of hiking, perhaps part of your motivation is to observe the niflaot, the wonderful things that God created in the world. There are many ways where a hike can be transformed from a uh, simple act of no particular spiritual value. I'm just doing it because it makes me feel good. There are many ways in which it can be transformed. Exactly the same hike can be transformed into a action motivated for, by someone who intends to cling to God and engage in a vodas Hashem, and that makes it a uh, that makes it a commendable, praiseworthy event. Indeed, uh, it uh, it all depends on mens uh, mens rea. It would be the Latin expression in, in simple English. It all depends upon your intent. In Hebrew, it all depends upon your kavana your motivation. So, so now our author has told us, the you know, author has told us this powerful idea, but he has to, you know, powerful ideas are very interesting, but we need some proof. Uh, we need some rabbinic sources. We need some uh, uh, evidence that the, that the great rabbis indeed embrace this view. It's not enough just to say it. We have to prove it. And here comes the evidence. Say, Ulamad, go out and study the Avotenu Akadoshim. Go out and study what our great fathers, forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Let's see uh, what the Torah tells us about Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, our, our forefathers, the founding fathers of Am Yisrael. And go in their footsteps. Let's see what the Torah tells us about them. And, and of course, what they did is praiseworthy in the eyes of the Torah. And therefore, we should walk in their footsteps. Indeed, uh, 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 doing anything to improve your health, doing anything to improve your lifespan can very simply be or oriented, can be motivated by a desire to, uh, to cling to God, uh, or it can be just selfish uh, because you just want to feel better. Okay, so he's going to bring us proof from Avram Yitzchak Yaakov and what the Torah has to say about them that his basic idea is correct. Open up your eyes, and you will see. If you look in the Torah carefully, in the stories of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, you will see that simple physical 
mundane earthly activities of Avoteno Kedoshim, simple mundane earthly activities of our holy fathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Ne'erag, Venasa, Mehem, Torah, Kedoshah, have been woven into the very fabric of Torah. The Torah, Sefer Breshit, Sefer Shmot, the Torah has woven into it, into the very fabric of Torah, has woven into it stories about very simple, mundane, earthly, physical activities of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Echa Torah misaperet lanu. The Torah tells us the story of Halichat Yaakov meber Sheva. The Torah tells us the story of Yaakov and his journey when he departed from Be'er Sheva. Uh, the Torah tells us where he went to sleep. The Torah tells us about the conversations between Yaakov and his wife, Rachel. The Torah tells us how he kissed her. The Torah tells us how Yaakov Avinu tended the sheep of Lavan. He worked as a shepherd, and the Torah tells us all these stories. The Torah tells us about the tricks which Yaakov played with the sticks that led to a, a greater a greater a greater number of of speckled offspring of hybrid hybrid offspring. The Torah tells us all the mundane, earthly, physical activities of the great fathers, with plenty more examples. Why does the Torah tell us? Why why does the Torah waste words in telling us about the activities of the great avot? Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov outside of Torah and mitzvahs. I understand why the Torah would tell us about the mitzvahs they did. I understand why why we would learn about the Torah which they learned. I understand why the spiritual activities of the fathers would all be mentioned in the in in Chumash. But why does the Chumash tell us all these other stories as well? Halo mizemuchach. It follows inevitably from these stories in the Chumash, Shekol Ma'asayim, it follows that all of the actions of the fathers, Mikatan Va'ad Gadol, from the smallest action of, of, of Avram Yitzhak V'yako to their greatest activities, it follows. Uh, uh, hold, hold on. I, 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 is the sound back again? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I just repeat what I said a moment ago because we had a glitch uh, on the sound. I think it was my fault. There was a little glitch on my screen. Uh, what I just said is that the stories of of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov prove to us that every single one of their actions, from their smallest activity to their greatest actions, everything they did was directed to Avodah Hashem, they allowed their minds, they allowed their intellects to control everything which they did in their life and everything, whether it was just walking along the street or having a, a, a conversation with the spouse or kissing the spouse, whatever it was, was done for a purpose, namely in order to bring Avodah Hashem, the service of God, into this world. Now, now, uh, uh, I uh, am not quite yet on the level of Avraham Avinu. Uh, I am not yet quite on the level of Yitzchak and Yaakov. But, but, but these are the models 
towards which we should aspire. These are the models which teach us how to structure our lives. And therefore, if I go out for a walk, uh, uh, a vigorous walk, my, my doctor tells me that going out for a vigorous walk is very important for health health of the heart, and uh, I, I, uh, I take the, uh, I listen to my doctor, my doctor says I'm supposed to do it, and I do it. Well, my, my intention, following in the footsteps of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, my intention in going out for a rigor, rigorous walk is not only to improve the health of my heart so I'll feel better and live longer, it's also, because my seicho, my intellect, tells me that if I feel better and if I am stronger, I will be able to engage in Torah and mitzvahs better, and I will be able to serve God better. I will be able to do more acts of chesed. I'll be able to do more acts of kindness. I'll be able to learn Torah better. I'll be able to run my business better, thereby giving livelihood to more people. Uh, 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 the simple act of going out for a walk in order to strengthen my heart can be selfish. I'm doing it only so that I will feel better and live longer. Or exactly the same walk can be altruistic. I can be doing it for the benefit of mankind so that if I feel better and live longer, I'll be able to do more acts of chesed. I'll be able to do more acts of kindness for people in the world. I'll be able to engage in many more mitzvahs. I'll be able to be, I'll be engaged in much more Torah. My spiritual life will improve. And it's exactly the same. Whether we're talking about going out for a walk because the doctor said, I need it for the health of my heart, it's exactly the same. If we're talking about playing a game of cards or playing uh, a game of basketball or whatever the activity is, it might be selfish and frivolous and only because you're having a good time or exactly the same activity, if you put your mind to it, if you engage your intellect, exactly the same activity can be transformed into an activity of spiritual value because it'll bring you closer to clinging to God's service. Further, these are still the words of the Ohev Yisrael. Everyone must keep in his mind, everyone must hold the idea in his mind, everyone has to hold the idea in his thoughts or her thoughts. Everyone has to realize that every person has his feet on the ground in this world and his stature reaches to the heavens and he's also connected to the spiritual world. Everyone, man and woman, the feet, his or her feet are on the ground. His or her spiritual existence uh, reaches to the heavens. That, that's true with everyone. Even though you are engaged in artsiyut and gashmiyut, even though your body is engaged in mundane, earthly, physical activities, still, in every earthly activity, in every mundane activity, in every physical activity, it is possible to inject a spiritual dimension, and that you can do with your intellect if you just think about why you are doing what you are doing. Your, your head, your intellect is of heavenly dimensions, and your intellect can inject proper motivation, proper kavana, proper intention into everything you do. Your mind can engage in heavenly spiritual activities while your body is engaged in earthly mundane activities. I'm in my place of business and, and, and my physical body is engaged in the most earthly, uh, most earthly mundane physical activities of run, running my business. Simultaneously, my mind is engaged in the spiritual realm because I have the understanding that what I am doing in the physical world 
is good for mankind. I'm not doing it only because I'm selfish and uh, uh, not only for my own benefit. I'm doing it for the benefit of mankind. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, when uh, same thing when uh, uh, playing basketball. Uh, uh, angels, uh, uh, pay attention to everything we do. Now let's conclude the words of, uh, yeah, well, e- e- even playing the game, even playing the game without listening to words of Torah. If you're, if you're, if you're playing the game, look, there, there are some people out there, there are great scholars who day in, day out, non-stop, can study Torah. Uh, uh, most people are not on that level of engagement in the study of Torah. Uh, most people need some time out in order to relax and refresh themselves, and then they can return to the study of Torah with greater, with greater vigor. There are some yeshiva bachurim who, from the morning to the night, they just sit in the yeshiva and learn Torah without any distraction. There are such people, but they're not many. Uh, most people, if they go out and play a game, even without listening to, to Torah while they're playing the game, with, with no earphones, it, it, while they're playing basketball, they just concentrate on the basketball game. Uh, if the reason they're doing it is so that they'll be able to return to learning Torah with greater vigor later, so all of a sudden the, the game of basketball by itself turns into a spiritual uh, activity, and that's great. The, the, the same thing could be said about every activity outside of the world of Torah. It's either intended for your, it's either intended exclusively and solely for your own, your own pleasure and your own benefit. It's purely selfish, or you're doing it so that you will be able to serve God better. Um, okay, let's cl- conclude with the words of the Ohev Yisrael. This is still a continuation of the same text. Ha'ikah, the main point, Never lose sight of the main point. The main point is that we must purify our bodies, that we must purify our senses, our vision, our speech. We must purify ourselves. We must purify ourselves as much as we can. We might not be on the level of Avraham. We might not be on the level of, uh, of Yitzchak and so forth, but those are the models to which we aspire. We have to try as well as we can to purify our actions and our thoughts and everything that we do. We have to purify ourselves so as much as possible what we're doing is intended for Avodah Hashem. And, and in basketball, playing cards, uh, going out for a hike can very easily be included in the enterprise of doing things for Avodah Hashem if you just take a moment and use your intellect, apply your minds, and you'll figure out why what you're doing is of spiritual value. Well, uh, uh, that's what we have to do so that everything that we do, everything we think, all our activities and all our thoughts will become a merkava, will become a chariot for, uh, for the divine presence and everything we do will, uh, uh, will have spiritual dimension to it. As you correctly point out, the same thing can be said about just eating uh, food. I can eat it with purely selfish uh, intention just because I enjoy it and that's all there is to it. Well, there's no spiritual value in that. Or exactly the same meal, eaten in exactly the same way, I can have in mind I'm doing it so that I will be stronger, so that I will be able to engage in the service of God. It's not a question of just mouthing the words before going out and playing basketball, before eating the meal, before engaging in whatever activity it is. It's not a simple matter of just saying some magic words. What I'm do, saying the words, what I'm about to do should help me and serve God. 
רק בעשייה בפועל, ממש באמת. Depends upon what's really going on in your mind. We're not talking about mouthing empty words where you just say that what you are doing is going to make you a better person so that you'll be able to serve God better. You have to really mean it. You have to apply your mind, your intellect, so you really mean it. Belishim Sigva Psalmit Chas V'Shalom, one should try to eliminate as much as possible any impure thoughts. Yiu Kolei Varav Choshav Shlemim Belishim Pagam V'Ches V'Chalila If you can ascend, if you can rise on the ladder of spirituality as high as Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, then you will succeed in transforming all of your activities into Torah activities. Uh, well, uh, uh, very few of us ever reach that level of perfection, but at least we can move forward on that ladder of perfection and get better. As Kadosh Yeyamelo, if you're able to sanctify your activities, then you will become a holy person even if what you are doing is playing basketball, even if what you are doing all day long is engaging in business, it doesn't matter. If your intention is to make the world a better world, if your intention is to make yourself a better person, if your intention is that ultimately this is going to contribute to what God wants this world to be like, then all of a sudden you have become a holy person through your mundane earthly, physical activities. Um, everything will be oriented to God's will. You'll end up becoming an expression of God's will. You will, you will be playing basketball. You'll be playing a game of cards. You'll be going out for a hike. You'll be jogging. You'll be walking. You will go to the movies. You'll listen to a concert. All for Avodas Hashem, either so that you're helping other people do Torah and mitzvahs, or you're helping yourself ultimately do Torah and mitzvahs better. Not purely for selfish, self-motivated reasons, uh, but for God's reasons. As Yuchalam Shich Seichel Emet Lavodas then you'll be able to orient all your activities to God, the Torah, the Tefillah, everything you do will become an act of Torah. Everything you do will become an act of Tefillah. Everything you do will be of spiritual value. He calls out, may it be God's will that we, that we succeed in fulfilling these principles, the emet of the tamim, that we can truth and in purity can fulfill these ideas. May God help us do this. Amen. Haven Hetev, understand well what I have said. Okay, now, now this text of the Oath of Yisrael crystallizes the ideas which we have seen up till this point. Namely, there doesn't have to be any distinction. There doesn't have to be any difference between holy activities and secular activities. It can all be the same. If only you will use your seichel, if only you will use your mind to orient the secular activities in a holy way. Uh, if you engage in the secular activities, whether it's eating a good meal, uh, jogging, or speaking with your spouse, if you engage in, the, in these activities only for your own enjoyment, only for your own benefit, only because you're, you're having fun, well, uh, uh, there's no particular value in that. But exactly the same activities can be transformed into holy activities of immense value if you apply your intellect, if you apply your mind, and if you have in mind that your motivation is L'Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven. Okay, this is the first big issue, which we have now clarified. At this point, we're going to turn to some smaller details, some smaller examples, which we have scattered through rabbinic literature. I've collected them together. Uh, the, the first area of uh, specific interest that we're going to talk about is in the synagogue or in the base midrash. 
you know as well as I do. Everyone knows that the synagogue, <clears throat> the place of Midrash, is a serious place. Uh, uh, solemn, uh, demanding of covenant, respect, and dignity. All, all this is another way of saying that what we don't want in the synagogue, what we don't want in the base of Midrash is the opposite. What we don't want is frivolity and uh, anything which is going to undermine the dignity, the respect, the covered, the solemnity of the place. Let's see what the Gemara and the Postkim have to say about this, because in the definition of frivolity and the definition of solemnity, we want the, the synagogue to be a solemn place, not a place of frivolity. In the definition of these concepts, we'll understand what's good and what's bad in human activity, and then we'll be able to apply these principles throughout the whole range of human activity. But they talk about it in terms of the Beit, Beit Knesset. We begin with the Gemara. Tana Rabbanim. The rabbis teach us in the Gemara. Bata Knesset synagogues Synagogues are places where one does not engage in frivolity. You can't be frivolous. Lightheaded uh, is what the word means. Kalos Rosh means lightheaded, but the idea is the idea of frivolity. You can't be lightheaded in the synagogue. That's the rabbinic way of saying frivolity is prohibited in the synagogue. We're going to have to define what frivolity is. Furthermore, one is not allowed to eat in a synagogue. The not allowed to, to drink there. Um, uh, as you probably know, uh, there are many synagogues, in the world, I suppose most synagogues in the world, where the people do eat and drink. They make a kiddush in the synagogue. Uh, they have a bar mitzvah and they have a meal in the synagogue. In many, probably most synagogues in the world, people are, 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 seem to be violating this principle of the Gemara because the Gemara says you can't eat and can't drink in a synagogue. The, the, the solution, the solution to this problem, yeah, what about Kiddush? Uh, uh, here in Israel, they don't do it. But outside of Israel, it's more or less standard practice in every synagogue to make Kiddush on Friday night in the synagogue. Uh, seems to fly in the face of this uh, of this of this passage in the Gemara, which says you're not allowed to eat and drink in the synagogue. The the, the solution to the problem is uh, the solution to the problem is to limit, to reduce the kedusha, the sanctity of the synagogue in the following way. Uh, when the synagogue is first built, first constructed, before. It's used as a synagogue, or if the community is buying a building which already exists, they want to use the building as a synagogue. Before using the building as a synagogue the first time, whether it's new construction or, or they're buying an existing building, before using the building as a synagogue for the first time, the leaders of the community have in mind that they are not being Makadesh the synagogue, they are not sanctifying this place to be a full-fledged synagogue. They are including a tonight, a condition in the use of the building that the building should be permitted for certain kinds of eating and drinking or not uh, uh, eating and drinking of a purely frivolous nature, eating and drinking which is somehow connected to a mitzvah Kiddush, a bar mitzvah, a shava brachas, something which is associated with a mitzvah. And, and this condition is explicitly, clearly included in the founding of the synagogue and then all as well. All modern synagogues are and in the future should be put into use with this condition in them. I remember in, in my holy neighborhood, which is wall-to-wall Haredim. I remember back in the early days when the community was just being built and the synagogue, uh, the first synagogue was available for use. Uh, the, the rabbi stood outside of the synagogue with a, with a 
with a, a large number of local residents, and, and he, he calls out in a loud voice, before we go into the synagogue, everyone should please have in mind that we are not sanctified. We are not being Makadesh, this synagogue, in every respect. We are retaining the right to eat and drink in there in mitzvah-related activities. Well, you don't need everyone in the community to think about this. It's enough that the leader of the community has it in mind. So in any event, you can't be frivolous in the synagogue. Uh, nowadays, it's okay to eat and drink there. Uh, one is not allowed to use the synagogue for your own hana'ah, for your own hana'ah, for your own benefit. Um, uh, I'm going to explain exactly what that means in a moment. You can't, you can't use the synagogue as a place to meet people. You can't go into the synagogue to protect yourself from the sun on a sunny day. You can't go into the synagogue to protect yourself from the rain on a rainy day. You can't go into the synagogue for uh, the purposes of just having a conversation with someone. The synagogue has to be a place of solemnity. And if there was no condition built in to the founding of the synagogue, then all of these halachas are in place and, and are valid. It's a hot day outside, and, and they have good air conditioning in the, in the uh, synagogue. Let me go in, just sit down and cool off a little bit in the synagogue, because uh, uh, they have good air conditioning there. No, this is your own hana'ah, your own benefit, and that's not what the building is intended for. Uh, well, um, the, uh, the Kedusha, uh, the Kedusha, where all of these prohibitions apply, uh, the, the Kedusha has to do with the room used for prayer. If the synagogue has other rooms which are used for other purposes, most synagogues nowadays are, you know, big things, big thing, you know, many rooms used for many purposes. Uh, the other rooms do not have the Kedusha of Beit Knesset, only the room which is actually used uh, for prayers. Okay, now of course, if the uh, founders of the Beit Knesset had in mind that the air conditioning should be available to people just if it's a hot day and they want a place to sit down for a moment and cool off, if, if they had that idea in mind when they built the synagogue, fine, fine, that that's okay. But if they did not have that idea in mind, then you cannot use the synagogue for your own personal benefit only for things oriented to service of God. That's what the Gemara says. Now the Rambam, Rambam uh, formulates it in the following way. Rambam coming from this passage in the Gemara says, Bate Knesiot, Bate Midrashot, synagogues and houses of study, Torah study, Ein Nohagim Bam Kalos Rosh, lightheadedness, that means frivolity is prohibited in them. Kagon, for example, Schok, making jokes, Hitul, um, having fun. Sicha uh, Batela, uh, meaningless chit chat, mean, 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 meaningless chit chat conversation of, of no great depth, no great importance. These are the things which are prohibited in the synagogue. Uh, it's clear where the Ramam is coming from. He got his ideas from the Gemara that we have on the top of the page, and that's the Psach of the Rambam, and we're going to see in a moment this becomes, the Psak becomes the decision of the Shulchan Aruch as well. Now, now think about it for a moment. Uh, uh, frivolous conversation, chit-chat, uh, joking, schok, uh, having fun. We're going to define these terms in greater precision in a few moments. Uh, these are things which are prohibited in the synagogue because the synagogue is a place that demands solemnity, kavod, honor, dignity, and respect. And these activities are not consonant with the demands, the holy demands of the synagogue. In the synagogue, these activities of frivolity, chit-chat, whatever it is, are prohibited. Uh, that's another way of saying that outside of the synagogue, there's no objection at all 
to frivolous conversation, jokes, and so forth and so on. These are activities which are prohibited in the context of the synagogue where solemnity, dignity, and respect are required. It's another way of saying outside they're permitted. After all, if there was something wrong, if there was something fundamentally wrong with acts of frivolity all the time, then there's no need to prohibit them in the synagogue. They're just always prohibited. Um, uh, something which is always prohibited, stealing, is always prohibited. Well, since stealing is always prohibited, you don't need a special prohibition to say you know how to steal in the synagogue. It's just always prohibited. Uh, these things are prohibited in the synagogue. It follows, therefore, that these acts of frivolity are permitted outside of the synagogue. Let's take these ideas one step further. The, uh, the, the, the hitul, the second item mentioned by the Rambam as being prohibited in the, in the synagogue, I, uh, I, I, I translated it quickly as saying making fun, but uh, I promised we'd have a more, 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 more precise definition. Here comes the more precise definition of what it is that's prohibited, hitul. What, what is it that is actually prohibited in the synagogue? What is hitul? The same hitul, of course, would be permitted outside the synagogue. But what is it that's okay outside and prohibited inside the synagogue? Well, the, the word appears a number of times in the Torah. I've collected the verses where it appears, and we'll see what the great rabbis have to say about the meaning of the word in these contexts. Um, uh, Avichen hetelbi is what the Torah says. Your father committed an act of hitul, and what is that? Unculus, the great rabbinic translator of the Torah into Aramaic, says, Your father lied to me. Hitul, which is prohibited in the synagogue, is sheker lying. You're not allowed to tell a lie in the synagogue. The kedusha of the place, the sanctity, the solemnity, dignity, respect, and honor of the place when you're in the synagogue blocks you from sheker, from saying a lie. This, this means, of course, that outside of the synagogue, there is some room for leniency. There are plenty of situations in which it's correct to lie outside of the synagogue. For example, if a lie is going to do no harm, a harmless lie, no one is going to be injured, no one is going to be harmed, a perfectly harmless lie which is going to benefit someone, uh, avoid their embarrassment, avoid shaming them. And such a lie is perfectly correct outside of the synagogue. Outside of the synagogue, a harmless lie, which is going to have uh, good, uh, good results, it's going to prevent someone's shame. It's going to prevent someone's embarrassment. Go for it. Go for it outside of the synagogue as long as no one's going to be hurt. And it's only going to be for someone's benefit. That, that, that's fine. But in the synagogue, the place of the divine presence Absolute truth is demanded. You're not allowed to lie. Here's another verse. Rak al Yosef Paro hatel levilti shalachet ani. Paro in Egypt was guilty of hitul in the negotiations of releasing the Jewish people from Egypt. Unkelis uh, translates that. Well, what is it that he was guilty of? What is it that Paro did? Lachud lo Yosef Paro leshakara. Paro was guilty of lying in the negotiations to free the Jewish people from Egypt. Lying is prohibited in the synagogue. In, in many circumstances, in some circumstances, outside the synagogue, there's no problem with it. Here's another verse. Matoma Delila el Shimshon. Delila said to Shimshon, "Hine heitaltaba, you are guilty." Uh, he tool with respect to me. The um, the uh, commentators on the Torah say, you mocked me. You mocked me. Uh, so he tool, what is prohibited in the synagogue, 
has two meanings uh, according to rabbinic tradition. Number one, it means why, which might be perfectly justified outside of the synagogue, but the divine presence in this synagogue demands complete uh, truth, and mockery, uh, scoffing, which outside of the synagogue might be in place, uh, might be correct in certain situations, in the synagogue, absolutely prohibited. Um, the Maalbim, in his great commentary on the Torah, uh, emphasizes the same idea. Hitul, uh, what, what, what is prohibited in the synagogue, Someone who speaks with a forked tongue, he phrases his words, he formulates his words in a way that the same words could be understood two different ways, and he's fooling the people, uh, deceiving them. What he really meant was one interpretation, but they understood something else. That's a kind of sheker, that's a kind of lying, which in the synagogue is surely prohibited. Outside the synagogue, we'll have to evaluate each case on its own merits. Uh, the general rules outside the synagogue are, number one, there has to be no injury, no harm to anyone. And number two, uh, there has to be some benefit to someone, for example, avoiding shame and embarrassment. If, if these conditions are fulfilled outside of the uh, Baconess at all as well. Okay, so, so we're beginning to see that in certain contexts, namely in the context of the synagogue, in the presence of the divine, there's not much room for frivolity. Outside of the synagogue, it therefore follows that there is plenty of room for frivolity. In the context of the synagogue, in the divine presence, there's no room for any lying at all. Everything you say must be in perfect accord with the truth. Outside the synagogue, there is some room for lying, and we'll have to be careful in applying the rules in order to figure out when lies are correct outside the synagogue. But these activities, headed by Kalus Rosh, lightheadedness, that means frivolity, these are activities which are prohibited in the context of the synagogue, and therefore there's plenty of room to permit them outside. We've seen what the Gemara says. We've seen what the Rambam says. And as I told you a few moments ago, now is the time to see what the Shulchan Aruch says. The Shulchan Aruch paskins as follows. Bate Knesset, Bate Midrashot, synagogues and houses of study. Ein nohagim behem kalos rosh, word for word. The Shulchan Aruch is quoting the Rambam, who in turn is quoting the Gemara. Frivolity is a no-no in the synagogue. Kagon, for example, Schok, Hitul, Sicha Betela brings exactly the same examples as our sources. Uh, 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 empty, uh, empty-headed, mindless chit-chat, uh, lying, uh, uh, joking. Ein ochlim, ein shotim behem, you can't eat and drink there. Ein mitkashtim behem, you can't uh, uh, put on makeup in the synagogue. If you want to put on uh, lipstick, you should go outside of the synagogue to do it, and then return to the synagogue. You can't use the synagogue as a place to sit down and cool off in the summer because of the sun or protect yourself from the cold uh, in the winter. Talmidei Chachamim, on the other hand, the rabbinic scholars, the Talmidehem and their disciples, they are permitted to eat and drink in the synagogue. The rabbinic scholars are allowed to eat and drink there. The difference between the scholars who are and their disciples who are permitted to eat and drink in the base midrash, in the house of study, where they are learning Torah all day, the difference between them who are permitted to eat lunch in the base of midrash and ordinary visitors who have to go out to eat lunch and then come back in, the difference between them is that the rabbinic scholars and their disciples, when they eat lunch, it's not really an interruption from learning Torah. They continue their Torah discussions. They continue 
their engagement in Torah, even while they are eating lunch. So for them, it's okay to eat in the holy environment of the base midrash because they are still engaged in the Torah study, which is what the that's the reason they're there. The ordinary citizen, on the other hand, who goes into the base midrash for a shiur to study a little bit but he's not fully engaged in study of Torah all day long. If he eats lunch there, uh, then the, the, the fear is that the lunch is going to become a, a break, an interruption in learning Torah, and that's wrong. Yeah, well, of course, these uh, uh, lunch and learn programs uh, are taking place in one of two places, either taking place outside of the established base midrash, they use some room somewhere, but not part of the base midrash. Or, if they are taking place in the base midrash, it must be a base midrash where a condition was made when the base midrash was set up, was originally started, that one should be permitted uh, to eat there. Same thing has to do with a set meal, it doesn't matter whether it's a snack or a bottle of water, it's all, it's all the same. Uh, if we're talking about someone who... Uh, uh, who uh, is going to drink water or have a snack while learning Torah, and the snack, the water is not going to distract him, is not going to distract her from the learning of Torah. The learning of Torah is going to continue while eating the snack, rather like uh, 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 Vladimir Horowitz, who was taught to play the piano as a small boy. Uh, back in the days when Vladimir Horowitz was taught to play the piano, they, they first would exercise one hand on the piano and then exercise the other hand on the piano. Well, his parents uh, bribed him into practicing by putting a, a, bowl, a bowl of chocolates on the piano and he could always use his free hand to take chocolates while he was using his other hand to practice the piano. As long as the engagement in piano practice was continuing, his parents were okay with that even though he was eating the chocolates. Those who uh, eat and drink in the base midrash and continue their engagement in Torah study, that's fine. No problem. Uh, no problem with that. And uh, uh, almost surely, almost surely the condition was made when the synagogue was set up. Uh, the, 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 the problem, of course, is if the synagogue was originally not established as an orthodox synagogue, if the synagogue was originally established as non-Orthodox and in the course of time became Orthodox, then, then there might actually be some problem here. This is similar to a situation discussed, discussed in the Truva of Moshe Feinstein. Moshe Feinstein discusses the problem. What happens if you receive a letter from the synagogue, a fundraising letter or any letter from the synagogue, and on the top of the letter you have the name of the synagogue. The name of the synagogue is Bethel. Beitel is a fairly common name uh, for synagogues. Uh, what happens if that's the name of the synagogue? Well, uh, if the synagogue was founded by Torah-observant Jews, they surely had in mind when they named the synagogue Beitel or Bethel, they surely had in mind the place in Israel which has that name, and there's no particular Kedusha in the name Bethel, therefore, and that piece of paper can be tossed into the rubbish when you're done with it. If, on the other hand, the synagogue was founded by non-Torah observant Jews and only later became Orthodox, then they surely had in mind the house of God as the meaning of Bethel, and therefore the piece of paper does have Kedusha, does have sanctity, and cannot be tossed into the rubbish when you're done using it. It has to do with whether the founders of the place were Torah observant. If they weren't, there could indeed be a problem here. So, with this we reach the end of our hour. Uh, we made it without the server uh, collapsing again. Imyet Hashem will have no problem in the future. I wish you a good week and a good Shabbos and look forward to seeing you all again next week. Next week we'll conclude the question of Beit Knesset and then get into secular literature, uh, novels, plays, and poetry and stuff like that. That'll be for next week. Until then, Shalom, Shalom.